0: Today I want to talk about a changed heart. I, I just want to tell you that, that the, the solution to every societal challenge that is in front of any people at any time really is not just good legislation and not just good governance, but the change of the human heart. The change of the human heart is what brings about the most profound impact on nations and, and people as a whole. So, I want to encourage you today as we look into this scripture that we're going to see 10 different people or 10 different groups of people that are in this story. As we think about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I've identified 10 different groups of people who were uh, present in this event and um, had feelings, had emotions, had uh, challenges like we do. And uh, I want to find something in the middle of that that would give us uh, a a way forward or some direction. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to start at verse number 26. I'm going to read through verse number 38, 26 through 38, Luke chapter 23. When they led him, that is Jesus... This is out of Pilate's uh, pronouncement. When they led him, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the county—I'm sorry, from the country—and placed him, placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Jesus is walking ahead. They seize a man. They put Jesus' cross on him. He begins to carry it because Jesus, by this point has lost so much love, blood that he is wounded to such a degree that he's not able to carry his own cross any further. Verse 27, And following him was a large crowd of people and of women who mourned, lamenting him. But Jesus, turning them to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say blessed are the barren and the womb that never bore and the breast that never nursed then they began to say then they, they then they will begin to say to the mountains Jesus speaking here they will say to the mountains fall on us to the hills cover us for if they do these things, when the tree is green, this is a, an enigma, this is a proverb that, that his audience would recognize. For if they do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? To others, to other criminals, also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death, with him and when they came to the place called the skull where they crucified him the criminals one on the right and the other on the left and Jesus was saying father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and they cast lots dividing up his garments among themselves the people stood by looking on and Even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. In verse 38, now there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. I know that this is a story that we read prior to Resurrection Sunday, and um, but the story never grows old because in that event, as has been portrayed throughout this service today, Jesus changed the world. He provided a way that broken and hurting and angry and embittered, and those who have been unjustly treated, all could find at the cross or at the ground beneath Jesus a way home. And uh, I will forever celebrate that. In fact, I wanna tell you something, if you want to save your republic, save souls. Because the best way to change a people is the change that occurs when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because what's supposed to happen is when we come to the cross of Jesus, we lay down everything. We lay down our sin. Many of us are more than willing to lay our sin down so that we can be forgiven. But we also lay down our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, our anger, our resentment, our resistance, our feelings of being hurt and wounded, everything, we have to lay it all down. Our thoughts, our hopes, our plans, our dreams, our fears, our prejudices, our everything. We just lay it at the feet of Jesus. And then when Jesus resurrects us, or when we come off of our knees, having repented, the spirit of God moves into the heart of the person who has just repented and that heart begins to change. So if you want to save a republic, save souls. The gospel is the greatest way forward. You and I are engaged actually in the most active and permanent change that a nation or people could ever know. So be encouraged That the name of Jesus can not only defeat enemies, the name of Jesus can transform a man's heart. And that's what we need so desperately. So let's look at some of the hearts that are represented in this story today. I counted ten of them, you might count more. And note that the heart represents the core values, the beliefs, and certainly the motives of people. First of all, in this story, the first person we encounter is one Simon of Cyrene. He was a man of color. He was a man of another nation. Uh, In two weeks, when I begin to share uh, the message that I have to share with you, I will show you how Jerusalem was encompassed about by literal, um, not state nations, but pockets of people And they considered Jerusalem to be the end of the Hebrew world until you got to uh, Galilee. But then in northern Galilee, it was another Gentile world surrounding them. So all of these places that we think of as being Israel proper, in all of those places, there were nations that were gathered and peoples there. And Simon, who was originally from Cyrene, he is considered to be an immigrant. He's considered to be a foreigner, and he is certainly a man of color. And I don't know about you, but um, I can't help but uh, take note that he was seized and he was captured by a ruling class of people, the Romans. He was seized and pressed into slavery. into labor. We call that slavery. He, it, Against his wishes, he was forced into labor. Simon was just an innocent bystander. His mama didn't raise him to carry the cross of Jesus Christ. But in the providence of God, God used him to lighten Jesus' load. So a man who should be embittered and angry was uh, in Inadvertently, he was brought into the story of grace. And then there's the authorities, those who seized him, those who were people of power and position, the ones who abused him, the ones who enslaved him. There was that group of people. Who were they? Were they the soldiers? Were they were the rulers? Or were they the soldiers just acting under the orders of the rulers? But there's a group of authorities if someone seized him, someone issued a command and someone had the power over him. So there was the the group of people that we had called the authorities. Then there was a large crowd and the large crowd was following him. The large crowd of people was made up of several different groups of people. One of them were women. We'll talk about them in just a moment. But some of the people had to be just like anyone else, curious when there's a fire down your street and the fire trucks come in you want to know what's going on you want to know if everybody's safe if everybody's sound but if the fire was intentionally started (laughs) there is there was a pyromaniac there was someone who set the fire but the point is that when something like this of this magnitude happens when crowds gather for any reason at all there's two things that can happen. One is people are just curious, but then the other thing is that a mob mentality can seize them and begin to direct them and guide them. So a large crowd gathered. Then there were the women's, I mentioned the women. I mentioned them a moment ago. And these women were probably just like any other mom. They saw a young man being treated so poorly. Some of them heard Jesus' story, some of them knew of him, some of them didn't. But if you didn't know him and you were a mom, you instinctively felt in your heart that some mother's boy is being mistreated and is going to die soon. How many women can just, um, they can, we can just identify you, women can just instinctively identify with injustice, especially when they see bullies picking on someone. So there were that group of women. And uh, amazingly enough, Jesus looks at the women and he said, "You you really oughtn't to cry for me. He knew why he was there. They didn't know why they were there. And they didn't know that the days would come when King Titus And his army would surround Jerusalem and crush the revolt once and for all, destroying their temple. And the Christians who remembered Jesus' voice ran to the hills to escape from the, the tyranny and the oppression that was coming from the Roman army. And Jesus says something else, and it's so profound. You know, he could look down through the annals of time And he could see uh, the Crusades, he could see Islamic revolt, he could see all the events of history, even the most recent one being the Holocaust. He could look down through the annals of time and see women, daughters of Zion, daughters of Jerusalem, who would weep for their children because their children were being slaughtered. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus also saw women who miscarried, the ones who wanted a child. They were not able to bring children. Those who had carried children in their womb for a certain season of time and then lost that child, some all the way, almost a full term, This is a problem and a challenge that none of us really fully can wrap our mind around. But I believe that Jesus could see the heart of women who not only would they suffer because of what their sons would go through, but they would suffer because of their sons who never came to birth. Which also has to be reflective of the women who are abortive and who chose to remove their child. Whatever their circumstance, whatever the reason, Jesus was able to in a moment see all of that. And Jesus said, don't weep for me. Weep for your children. And here we are today, a people who weep for our children. There were two thieves. Actually, I'd like to say that there were three thieves because Jesus surely stole the hearts of men everywhere he went but there was one who was placed on the left and there was one who was placed on the right I don't know if that's by accident or by choice but I'm just going to tell you in my opinion my humble opinion if you're ultra conservative or you're ultra liberal the devil doesn't care because you end up in the weeds either way Jesus died in I don't know how to bring together conservatives and liberals. I don't know how to do that, but I do know this, that those who agree, whether they be alt-left or alt-right, those who accept Christ as their Savior meet in the middle, and they extend a hand to one another, and they hear each other, and they listen to each other, and they learn from each other, and they help each other. There were two thieves. One of them repented. Fortunately, it doesn't tell us whether it was a guy on the left or the guy on the right, but one of them repented, one of them didn't. There was the religious leaders who mocked at Jesus, but more importantly, they rejected him. They first rejected him. And I just want to tell you that a spirit of religion will kill you if it can. A spirit of religion. I just heard the testimony... I've heard it before, and I heard it again. Testimony of a pastor today who's ministering not far from here. And half of his life, his daddy and mom raised him Jehovah's Witness. But when the Jehovah's Witnesses prophesied the return of Christ for like the millionth time, and Jesus had not returned, his dad said something is wrong. And he pulled his family out of the Jehovah's Witness church And he began to have a little Bible study in his house with his family and his children. And as he began to teach them from the scriptures, they took, like, the New World Translations, which is the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, translation of scripture. They took an NIV and a King James Bible, and they just started reading and comparing notes. And they, they cried out to God. This guy's dad cried out to God and said, God, show us truth. Show us the way forward. And he was out cutting the grass. And a Baptist pastor walked up to him and said, Sir, I don't know your name, but we've been praying for you. And that man invited that pastor into his home, and they accepted Christ as their Savior. And now his son is a pastor in a local church. Wonderful, wonderful change of heart. But religious spirits, oh my gosh, if you don't agree, they'll kill you. Oh, they would like to. Sometimes they do. They not only sneered at Jesus, which is bad enough, but they just flat out rejected him. And then lastly, I feel like there's, there's soldiers that, that can represent policemen and officers. Some of those soldiers were wicked people, and they hated Jesus. They didn't mind killing him. Some of them were just doing their job. You know, corruption can be found anywhere. It can be found in the church. It can be found in a marriage. It can be found in a government. And corruption should be rooted out. My most fervent prayer right now for this country is that God would expose corruption wherever it is found. And if the finger is pointed at me, so be it. But I'm telling you, the corruption in this country needs to be rooted out. And we've got to be those who love the truth, no matter where it takes us. So I think that there were soldiers who were bad soldiers. I believe there are policemen who are bad policemen. I believe there's policemen who love our country and defend its constitution, some of them just doing their job. But they were there and they were rejecting Jesus. I said lastly, but I, I, I do want to mention someone who's not directly mentioned, but it's inferred in the story. There was a sign. There was a sign maker, David. There was a sign maker who was pressed into service. He made a sign, Jesus, the king of the Jews. He's just doing his job. He's just doing his job. And I think that there are a lot of people in our country today... That just like you and me, they're very concerned, and they're just—they're just trying to do their job. And there's a spirit that's trying to divide everyone, and not allow anyone to just do their job, and or just to do marriage, or just to do family, or just to do church. There's a there's a, a spirit in this country today that's trying to divide people in every way from Sunday. That's the spirit that we need to move. There were two other names in this list that were mentioned that I jumped over. One of them goes by the title, Father. Jesus prayed, Father. Here's where I wanna take a moment to just rest for a moment. I just wanna put a pin in this place and just say, I want you to just imagine with me. And when I say imagine, in fact, I'm going to just stop and pray because something happened to me in prayer this week and I pray that it happens to you. I prayed this week and I said, God, I I just need a word. Sometimes I just need a word. I need a way forward. I need direction for this day. And the Lord led me to this scripture and this passage. And as soon as I began to read it, the Holy Spirit began to whisper in my heart these words. Oh, how large is the heart of the Father. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would begin a moment here where we hear you beginning to reveal yourself in the vastness and the greatness, in the beauty and the splendor, in the glory and the magnitude of your heart because our hearts are so puny and small. Oh, God, enlarge our hearts or at least give us a greater vision of yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If a father loves his children, then God does. I don't know if you... Or I, in fact, I can be very certain that we can't grasp what I would use the word predicament. Like, How does the love of God and the justice of God coexist? How do they merge together? How can God not be anything but holy? No, most holy. No, only holy. How can God be anything other than absolutely, totally other than everything that has been created in the universe? I like to do it this way. It's really pretty easy. This is math that I can get. Like, okay, let's take inventory of the universe. There's God, that's one. And then there's everything that he created, that's two. Inventory is done. It's over. There's only God and what he's created There isn't anything that he didn't create. Oh, well, I mean, the raw material, everything that the universe is made on came from divine fiat, from the heart of God. God, in his richness and vastness, is absolutely separate from everything in creation creation was created absolutely good just like God was but the problem was that Adam the corporal head of the universe the corporal head of the human race when he uh, disobeyed God he opened the door and allowed sin and with it corruption and death into the entire universe is there life on any other planet somewhere I don't know but if there is i can tell you this much it's been impacted by adam's sin the entire universe has been impacted by the sin of adam and it's subject to corruption and that's what we see you know we can go even to the most inhospitable the most hospital the most hospitable inhospitable place In the universe, which would be Mars, and look at that and say, maybe life was here. But even if it was, what do we see? Nothing but corruption, disease, decay, death, whatever. It all came. So God created the universe, wonderful and beautiful and glorious. So now God is not only separate from his universe, but he is also separate in his holiness. And the universe has been entirely corrupted by the sin of adam so there's god and what he created so he's absolutely holy but it was love that motivated him to create in the first place god is not only holy but he's also which holy means it infers he's just but god is also loving and kind the love of god motivated him to create in the first place See, how do you go further from the love triangle between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? The only way that you can test and prove that beautiful and perfect love is to create a creation with a will and an opportunity to accept or to reject God and His love. The love of God motivated Him to create in the first place. And I think that... um, Chris, at the beginning of the service, sort of touched on it when Chris said something like, you know, God looks at this world that he's created. He's looked at the creation and it has been separated by its sin from him, but his love had to find a way to restore and to reconcile. And so I'm going to just ask you to imagine with me. Oh, How large is the heart of God to create from the beginning and know the end from the beginning? And there would come that moment when the father would look at his son and the father would say, as much as I love you, there's no way home for these children. Everyone was made in the image of God. Next Sunday, I want to talk about the image of God. I think that is so misunderstood. We always appeal to it, but I think we need to take a closer look at what it means to be made in the image of God. What does that make the human body if we are made in the image of God? So I want to just take this moment here right now and say that the largeness of the Father's heart would not look past Jesus to a job that needed done, but look in the eyes of Jesus. And not only create this tension of, you'll have to die for them, because for the human race, death is like the ultimate thing. It's what separates us all. And rich or poor, black or white, it makes no difference. Everyone is impacted by death. And for us, that's the worst thing. But to look in Jesus' eyes and see absolute pure love and unrelenting, unrelenting love, looking back, innocent, not knowing good from evil, not knowing anything of evil, but having a heart of purity. The eyes of Jesus reflecting back to the Father that Jesus knows that he will become the sin offering. He will become sin itself and hang suspended between heaven and earth, which is worse than death. Meaning that the Father would turn his back on Jesus. That event has already occurred before this story begins. But I want you to know the largeness of the heart of the Father as Jesus makes his appeal. And as Jesus makes his appeal, he knows the heart of the Father. (laughs) He knows. God is absolutely predictable. If you want to know what he's like, he's love. anything, the marriage between holiness and love, is that his love is a holy love. His holiness is endued with love. So he's not holy and harsh. He's not loving and soft. It's a holy love that looks at Jesus and says, you know what? And now Jesus, hanging on the cross, says what he knows the Father is capable of. Father, forgive them. Oh, how great the heart of Jesus Christ. Oh, how great is his heart. It's a reflection not only of the Father, but in his own right, He's hanging there and he's not saying on the basis of what I'm about to do, on the basis of my blood, on the basis of my death. He appeals to the Father and he says, Father, forgive them. And he analyzes your 2021 culture and day right now by saying, Father, they do. you. But when that truth hit my heart, it blew my theology open. Because I know it's the blood. I know it's the death. I know it's the resurrection. I know that. But Jesus is just saying, Dad, they don't have a clue what's going on. While he is saying that, they're literally gambling for his clothes. Do you think that Jesus cares a whit about his clothes? No, he looks at the heart of those gambling and he's saying, Father, they haven't a clue. They don't have a clue. Let me tell you a prophetic word right now. This country does not have a clue what we're doing. And it's best we return to God as fast as we can. to the Father out of a heart of pure love for mankind with intimate knowledge of the Father's heart and he pleads, Father By his father, as he became a sin offering, he presses through this silence from the father and asks the father, not on the basis of the work of the cross, but on the basis of his raw analysis of mankind's condition, and says, "They do not know what they're doing." Paul the apostle would say later in the book of Corinthians, and he said, "If the ruler." if the rulers and the principalities understood what was happening when he died, they wouldn't have done it. I mean, that, that doesn't even go to the people. But behind the people, this is what is so di- There's two things that are so difficult right now, is that one, I have to just absolutely trust God, but he uses people. That's a, you know, oxymoron. But the other thing is that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but yet there are people who get authority and power and etc and I just believe with all my heart that Jesus Um, when he was dying there, it was people who were crucifying him, but there was a demonic spirit that was swirling. That's why the scripture says that darkness came over the place for about the space of three hours. It was the darkness of all the demons in hell circling over Jesus, tempting him, saying, the God has forsaken you. God has given up on you. Maybe there's no God at all. You're just hanging here dying. You should be living. You should come down. You should prove it to them. Why don't you just prove to them once and for all who you are and come down off the cross. He's speaking through the religious leaders. He's speaking through the soldiers. He's speaking through the mob. He's speaking through all those people with those adversarial words. Darkness has covered the whole place and Jesus' faith presses through the silence from the Father and he says, I know you. I don't know why you went quiet on me. I know you, and I know that you'll hear me. And so, Father, I ask, would you forgive them? We were forgiven not because Jesus shed his blood, but because Jesus asked the Father to forgive us. His blood paid the penalty, absolutely, because this is an issue of justice. This is the way that God can provide justice because Adam's sin his blood became guilty from there on out it took the innocent blood of another Adam to remove the guilt some people argue did God pay the devil no the devil didn't and that, please don't give him that much credit he's a loser God He's consistent. He's not only loving, he's not only holy, but he's absolutely just. He satisfied his own justice. He's the gold standard of justice. You may not have received justice, but work for it. You may never receive justice, but believe in it, because there is a day of judgment coming whether what was done to you was right, wrong, or someone was absolutely indifferent, or you just absolutely just were kind of dealt a bad hand, I'm going to just tell you right here and now, believe in the justice of God. Believe in it. It will never change. Jesus, his heart was so great. Father, his heart was so great. My complaints seem so small. Our country, you and I, we need a changed heart. A change of heart. It's the beginning of finding our way home. It's agreeing with God, it's the putting away the pointing of the finger. Stop pointing the finger. And start listening to a cry from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think it would be best if each and every one of us just said today, God, let me just pray this prayer and shut my mouth. We don't know what we're doing. We need your help. Don't go any further. We need a change of heart. We can plant seeds of change and we should because everything begins with the seed and by the way you reap what you sow you sow violence you reap violence we can create winds of change and begin to move in an opposite spirit that's coming against us and we should but the only true lasting change that will ever occur comes from a change of heart I want to tell you this real quick story I like to use old stories because it's not likely that someone would hear and be embarrassed. But I I assure you that every day I'm hearing and witnessing and seeing people changing their hearts. Their new stories, new testimonies. I remember a man who came to our church through his wife. His wife had bumped into us and found us to be passionate and lovers of Jesus, and she loved being here. So eventually, she brought her husband. Her husband was happy and content with his uh, church that he was in, but uh, when he came here, he saw something different. After a little little bit of time, he started to, his heart began to open to God, and the love of God began to uh, swell up within him. And he finally, he just came to a place of releasing his life into the hands of Jesus yeah I love that doesn't it's not about the church that the person it was the experience they had with Jesus Christ okay so he asked to meet with me and I met with him and he said I got to tell you a few things I just got to get them off my chest I said sure and one of the things he said is, uh, I grew up very, very poor. I grew up in an urban city. And he said, uh, I, I am so prejudiced. He said, I absolutely, as a white guy, I have always been in trouble with blacks. I just can't. I just can't. You know, they they robbed me. They beat me up. They. I was a minority in their school system. And I, he said, I just can't stand blacks. And I said, you're going to have to lose that because... As William Seymour said, that the uh, color line is washed away by the blood line. That's a deep thought right there. William Seymour from Azusa Street Revival, a black man who was subjected to Jim Crow laws and was not allowed to study in his Texas college in the classroom, so they made him sit in the hallway. And He became the pastor. Of this amazing revival. And he was always in trouble. Because mixed races were all worshiping together. And it was just creating a wonderful mess. I looked at him and I said. Brother I'll pray for you. But this is going to require. God changing your heart. He won't change your past. He can't change your circumstances. And you know he won't change what you think. You're just going to have to lay it down. I. I'd be more than happy to pray with you but okay so we pray he was young and enthusiastic he was growing we were having healing services and what we'd do is on a Friday night we would someone would preach and then after that we would just invite people forward to be prayed for we'd have four maybe uh four uh uh prayer teams across the front of this church and uh Two or three people in those teams praying for people as they lined up and came through. So he he uh, he got uh, really excited about that, really loved those services. And he came to me and he said, man, I, what do I need to do in order to get in one of those teams? And I said, why don't you just come and be with me one night and let's just pray together. You'll be my partner. And he said, oh, I'd love to do that. So here we are. People are queued up. My line's the shortest. Everybody went to someone else, you know. But that's no. Matter. And someone in this um, uh, other uh, row beside us was taking a long time. I bet they fell out in the spirit. You know, it's probably what happened. And all of a sudden, everybody's all excited and stuff. So there's a whole, everybody runs in that line. Then all of a sudden, you know. So um, uh, the next guy uh, behind that uh, that the gentleman that who had been prayed for, I, I just waved him over. And I had already told my friend, I said, now, after we had prayed for two or three people, I said, you're going to pray for the next one. So I wave this guy over, and he comes up. First guy up is a black man. My friend has to pray for a black man. He looks at me, and I said, you can do this. And my friend lays hands on him, and he just does what we told him to, just bless him in the name of Jesus. He no further got the words out, I bless you in the name of Jesus, and the two of them all of a sudden grabbed each other and they were strangling each other in joy and love and two men got healed that night. I believe with all my heart that the way forward isn't going to be found in a piece of legislation but by the change of our hearts. Well, I have great news. God's heart for us hasn't changed. That great heart has not changed. Jesus' great heart for mankind has not changed. There's hope for us. And the Holy Spirit still transforms the human heart.